Hello, and welcome to The Shift Zone. I'm your host, Val Dorsey. This podcast provides tips and tools to help you shift your mindset and shift your actions to both activate and step into your zones of personal and professional success. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I have Dr. Tiffany Pierce. Hey, Tiffany. Hello. Hello. So happy to be here. Now, before we start, I have one question to ask you. Okay. Are you ready to step into the zone? I am ready. Let's do it. Okay. Okay. Now, Tiffany, all of your information is in the show notes, but I do want you to tell the listeners a little bit about Dr. Tiffany Pierce. Well, again, hello, and thank you so much for having me. So again, I am Dr. Tiffany Pierce. I am a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a pharmacist and a purpose and alignment strategist. And what I do is I help career women to transition from soul-crushing careers into their spirit-led callings. I'm also an author, which I think we'll be getting into a little bit today, of a book called Peace Filler. So I just have a lot of things going on wearing all the hats and just trying to balance it all and do it well. <laughs> so let me tell you guys something. I have about 24 reasons that I invited Tiffany on the show. The first one is she is amazing. That's the first thing. The second one is that she is good at what she does. And three through 24 is the 21 reasons why you're anxious (laughs) and what to do about it. So, Tiffany, let's get into it. You are a pharmacist, but you're also a purpose and alignment strategist. Yeah. But in your book, Peace Stillers, 21 Reasons Why You're Anxious, Why It Matters, and What to Do About It, You talk about your journey to finding your peace and shifting into a place of peace and eventually finding your purpose in life. Can you tell us how you started and what events led you to get to the point where, hey, I'm going to have to do something and get to a peaceful place? Yes. So, again, I am a pharmacist. I've been a pharmacist for about 15 years now. And pharmacy was always my plan B. You know, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't have a plan B because that showed there that I didn't have faith. But my plan A was being an actress. I had a lot of um, interest in theater. I've done a lot of things in the arts and entertainment. And so that was really going to be my plan A. And pharmacy was was my plan B. But my mom was like, we got to have a real job. So I chose pharmacy. And so when I graduated from pharmacy, I was ready to start auditioning. I really was ready to just get out there and really just start seeing what I could do with the acting. But For some reason, the doors wouldn't open as fast as I wanted them to. And so it's almost like I was trying to force doors to open. And again, being a pharmacist, and I was a retail pharmacist, so I was working long hours. When I would have auditions, I wouldn't be able to make a lot of the auditions. So I was like, something has to give. And so I kind of put the dream on the back burner for a while and just was really trying to figure out what I needed to do. And then I had my son in 2013, and I realized that I didn't really want to pursue acting anymore. I was, I prayed and asked God to take that desire away from me because I felt like it was just too hard trying to pursue. Now, I knew there was going to be some resistance, but I was like, sometimes I just feel like, you know, when something may not be for you. And so when I had my son in 2013, I really took time to just ask God, what did he want me to do? And so he led me to life coaching. 
And I wasn't really thrilled about life coaching, but then I began to um, discover Christian life coaching. And so when I discovered Christian life coaching, I was like, this is it. Yeah, this is who I've always been. Because, you know, the difference between regular life coaching and Christian life coaching is life coaching is just getting individuals from where they are to where they want to be. But Christian life coaches is moving individuals from where they are to where God wants them to be. And that made all the difference for me. And so I realized that a lot of people were in careers like myself and they really wanted to be doing more creative work. So I really just dove into my business. Also, you coaching, you know, God began to send the, the clients. And that same week that I put out my business and my website, I was given the opportunity to do a radio show every Wednesday morning due to inspiration moments. And it just fell in my lap. All I did was put my website out there. So I knew at that moment that I was beginning to really shift into my purpose and where God wanted me to be. Because when you don't have to force doors open and your life begins to flow, you kind of know that you're in the vein that God wants you to be in. You do. Now, when I read the book, your first two chapters really hit me because you talk about wanting to be an actress, but you also talk about the motives mm. and, you know, the anxiety and, and what you experienced all those years chasing a dream that really wasn't the dream. Yeah. Can you tell us about some of those early events and some of the things that happened early on that kind of put you on notice that, hey, this is really not what I'm going to do? Yes. So I have always been the big dreamer like always out of my friends. It's so funny because at my graduation banquet, my mom had for me, she had my friends come up and all of them said, Tiffany always said she was going to be famous and she's going to be this big actress. She's going to be on TV. And so they knew that that was always my goal. And what I learned early on is that not everyone is going to celebrate that. Some people are going to be intimidated, especially when it's like you're starting to succeed. And so oh, at that right, and so at that point, I had I had done a national commercial that was airing all over the world. I had people, and I remember being on a break from school, from college, and I had people from California, everyone calling me like, "I see you on TV." And the, the commercial would air like every um, day during Young and the Restless, like the commercial breaks. And so I remember going to visit some of my college friends. We were on a break, and there's always been this one particular friend that was always something that was off. And a lot of your listeners probably can relate to that. It's just something that's off. Right. And it was almost like a competition, but it was like, I, but you, you know, you try to see the best in people. And so one day we were sitting around, I remember at one of our friends' apartment, and we were watching behind the music. I think it was Jennifer Lopez's story. And I was sitting there just ready to just jump out of my skin because I always love stories like to see how, how people became who they were. And so I remember telling my friends, you know, I'm going to be on TV. That's going to be me one day. We're going to be listening to my story. And one of my friends said a phrase to me that I never forgot. And she said, well, many are called, but few are chosen. And, and, and when you heard that, how did it make you feel? It crushed me. It really did because, you know, I was young. And I've always been an uh, encourager by nature. I've always been someone who wanted to see people excel. You would never find me saying anything negative. I was always going to be cheering you on and building people up. So I didn't understand because that's, it's foreign to me for someone to, to not be able to support someone's dream. And so it crushed me. And from that moment on, I realized that my pure motive of being an actress, I actually developed an unhealthy motivation to prove her wrong. 
And so the reason why I wanted to be an actress, because I've always been a Jesus girl, you know, always. And so I always knew that God would use me, whatever platform I was on, I would use my platform to bring people to Jesus, to, to be a light in dark places. And so I just didn't understand because it was like, this is, this, all I want to do is just bring good into the world. Why can't my friends support me? And so that pure motive just to be a vessel for God to use turned into, like I said, an unhealthy motivation to prove her wrong. And so it set me on a path that really led to a lot of anxiety because I was conflicted between wanting to do it for the right reasons, but also wanting to prove her wrong, like I'm going to show her. And so that really was part of one of the big reasons why I was anxious because of this one individual that was in my life that I should have, I should have closed that chapter a long time ago, but instead I kept her around for a long time and it really was disrupting my peace. And when I read the book and I, I read the chapter Unhealthy Motives, I had to sit back and think about that mm. because sometimes you don't realize how you pursue certain things, not necessarily for yourself, right. but just to prove other people wrong. Mm -hmm. Just to put on an image to say, I can do this. Right. Which is okay if you're trying to do it for you. Because exactly. like you said, you were a Jesus girl. You were going to use acting to, to reach a platform where you could reach a number of people yes. and spread the word. And so once you heard that comment from someone else, it just changed the trajectory of really of your career. It sure did. And it put you on a path where just from reading the book, you had to go through so many other things because you had shifted out of your zone into mm -hmm. someone else's. Yes. Talk to us a little bit about the subsequent events and the things that transpired after you got into that unhealthy motive of just proving to your friend that you were going to be famous. Right. I was going to say, one of the quotes that I always say is, trying to prove others wrong will put you on the wrong path. And that's what happened. I would have stopped pursuing acting a long time before I did if I had not been trying to prove her wrong because I had been praying for God once the doors wouldn't open and I knew when I had my son that there was more there was something different that my I was craving something else but because I had this unhealthy motive I kept pursuing it even though I really didn't want it anymore and that sounds really crazy that we do things like that like we we disrupt our lives because we're trying to prove other people wrong and we stay in situations too long when we really want to be doing something else. And so I would have really shifted out of that mentality of wanting to be an actress a long time before I actually did, if I had not been trying to prove her wrong. And so eventually I got around to really I crying out to God and asking him, what do you want me to do? Because in pharmacy, I kept getting laid off. And I was like, okay, God, I know this is not a coincidence. You know, I think you're really wanting me to shift gears and do something else. And I don't believe you want me to do acting anymore. So I really took the time that I had from not having a job by not working as many hours when I did find a new job. I was able to really pour myself into just resources and just really figuring out my next path. And that's when I began, like I, I mentioned before, that's when I started hearing about life coaching and then I discovered Christian life coaching. And then again, that's when all the doors start opening. It was everything that I wanted to do with acting. But he used a different vehicle. And sometimes we hold on to a dream, not realizing that it can be a different vehicle that gets you to your ultimate destination where you want to go. 
So you want to make sure that you're in alignment. That's why I'm really passionate about being a purpose and alignment strategist, because you want to make sure that you know your purpose. And the first step to knowing your purpose is knowing your identity, which is why a lot of us are dealing with things from our past, because the things in your past from childhood, even in the womb, those things were were strategically there and placed in your life to trip you up and cripple you so you don't know your identity because you can't walk in your purpose if you don't know who you are because you won't know what you're called to do if you don't know who you are. And so that's why when I began to walk into the life coaching, I really began to realize that this is my identity. This is who I've always been. This is everything that I am. It was so easy. I didn't have to force any doors. And God began to really send the clients and everything just began to fall into place. So it's really important that you get clear and hear your own voice and not, because I replayed it over and over again in my mind. Many are called, you are chosen, like a tormenting. It was like tormenting. And so it's really important for you to hear your own thoughts and get quiet so that you can hear God as well, so that you will be able to fulfill your purpose in this earth. You know, of course, you know that I'm also writing a book as well, mm-hmm. and it, it'll be published shortly. But I talk about that a lot. That's really important to me because personally, I I realized that in my life, there was a lot of noise and the failure to get quiet and sit down and listen to your own voice and think about who you are, think about what you want. It's a big thing. Yes. And I feel like it it sets the tone for everything else. It does. Because if you can't do that, you will run into identity crisis Mm -hmm. Um, you will run into thinking more about other people's perception of you than your own perception of yourself and one thing I I thought about when you talked about your friend and wanting to prove her wrong is that it almost sounds like if you didn't prove her wrong not that if you didn't become an actress but if you didn't prove her wrong you were going to feel like a failure Mm Yes. And when you talked about the identity, because you had identified with being famous Mm -hmm. and not being famous and not being able to say, I'm an actress. Right. And not having that label would make you feel like a failure. Yes. And I think a lot of us have that problem. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, and just let me know if you agree with me. I, when I think of success, I think that we all just want to feel good about ourselves. Yes. We all just want to feel good in what we do. Yeah. But going through life, dealing with other people, we lose track of the fact that we're just trying to, to do what makes us feel good. And we jump into trying to do what we think will look good to other people. Right. Yes. And you have to realize that I understand that she was my friend, but I realized that it was something bigger than her. Like, I believe that it was an assassination attempt on my identity because the enemy knew that I would need my identity to be who I am now. And so again, I stayed in the situation too long when I should have moved quicker. And a lot of us, even with being women who are in careers that they hate, I, I call it living by default instead of living by design. And so we begin to live by default because society says, go to school, go to college, get a good job. Or you offer, in my instance, um, wanting to be an actress and you just feel like this is something that you must do. And because, you know, people glamorize it, even though I had a good motive in the beginning, it was pure. It really was to use my platform because in my little mind, I talk about in the book, I thought that I had to be this big actress for people to listen to me, not knowing that, you know, 
people will listen to me now. People are listening to me now and I'm not this big actress. But I just feel like sometimes we get hung up on other people's expectations or trying to look successful when that's not successful at all. If you don't have peace and you're successful, but you don't have peace, you're not successful at all. And so what I'm doing right now, yes. And so a lot of us want what I talk about in the book. We want impressive callings. Because when God told me, when I felt like I was being led to do life coaching, I was like, you know, that's not impressive enough. But because I was changing my mindset, that no longer mattered to me. What mattered to me was me being in alignment with my purpose. And I'm more happier and more fulfilled now than I ever was before. And I still can't believe that I sit here with with peace because I never thought that I would know life without being anxious. So it is a miracle. And I'm a testament that walking in your purpose and aligning your life with your purpose and with your identity changes everything for you. It does. And, you know, when you mentioned the comment that your friend made, many are called, you are chosen. Mm -hmm. And you said you kept replaying that, replaying that, replaying that. And that moves me into another peace stiller Mm -hmm. that you put in your book, which is negative thoughts and evil forebodings. Yes. I loved that chapter. Right. Because we talk to ourselves so much. The Mm -hmm. ego speaks to you so much. It tells you you're not worthy. It tells you you're not good enough. It tells you other people are thinking things about you that they don't. And that steals your peace. And that is one thing that for me, I feel like it never completely goes away. And that is something you have to be aware of so that you can deal with it when it comes up and you can keep going. Yes. Because I haven't found a way to make it go away. I know how to deal with it. But can you talk about what you did to shift from having those negative thoughts about yourself into your place of peace? Yes. Well, the first thing that I had to do was I had to really eliminate that person from my life because whenever I would see her, and I would be in her presence, I always felt it rising up. And so, first of all, it's hard to forget something that's always in front of you. And so it wasn't right. a healthy relationship. I don't subscribe to canceling everybody, but this was a relationship that I needed to have let go a long time before I did. So that's the first thing. You have to honor your own, your own peace. You know, a lot of times we put other people's feelings over our own well-being because it wasn't just hurt. It was six of us and all. We had been friends for a very long time. And so it was really, I really could not see myself not having them in my life, but I knew that I had to make some hard decisions. So that's the first thing I had to do. I had to really choose myself over their feelings because they were crushed. They were hurt when I decided to back away, when I, you know, it was like, I, I can't do this anymore. I hurt them, but I was hurting myself all those years when I was in an environment that was really, tear me down because there would be a lot of different things that, you know, we don't even have time to get into, but it was a lot of things that would happen when I would get around this group that I knew, you know, like something's just not right. I don't belong here. I don't fit in. And so that's the first thing. And after that, it's really easy to really, when you start choosing yourself, then you begin to think for yourself. You know, I began to be able to think my own thoughts and get clear on who I am and what I want. And one of the things that I talk about in the book is what I call the negative and the positive pattern model. And what happens is within any of our lives, there's always something that is going, that it's a stimulus that can cause us to go into what I call the rabbit hole. 
And so you have the stimulus, something happens, something negative. And then the next thing that happens after that is we're going to have a thought. Now, on the negative side, that thought is going to be irrational. But on the positive side, it's a rational thought. And so what I had to do is I had to begin to catch myself from having these irrational thoughts. So I use the example in a book of, let's say you are a single mom and you're already living paycheck to paycheck and you lose your job. That's your stimulus. You lost your job. The next thought you think after that, if, is it going to be rational or irrational? If you're on the negative side, it's going to be like, great, nothing good ever happens to me. What am I going to do now? I'm going to lose my car. I'm going to lose my house. You know, they're going to take my kids. Like, what am I, you right. know? And then you're going down a rabbit hole from there. And so from that, as, as a thought, that thought is going to produce a feeling or an emotion. And whatever happens in that emotion, it's going to cause you to want to lay on the sofa all day, depressed, eat donuts all day, cry yourself to sleep. And you can't even do anything to get up and change your situation. Just because you thought negatively about yes. yourself. Yes. And then, too, I wanted to jump in and say, you start creating scenarios yes, that, never that don't even exist exactly. yet. And most of the time, the, the first scenario, by default, is a negative scenario. Yes, yes. And that quote that says, most of the things that we fear never happens. So you wasted all that time. I mean, you could have been figuring things out. And so after that, yes, you're going to have that feeling and it's going to produce an action. Like I said, you're going to want to eat donuts. You're going to do stuff to make yourself feel worse and worse. Because for me, I know when I, when I start eating it's certain foods that I cannot eat, I, I have to live a, a really rigid lifestyle. And so when I am stressed or emotionally eating, I'm going to make myself sick with that food. So you don't right. care. You're already in a hole. And so that's going to produce an action. It's going to, it's going to cost you on the negative side. It's going to cost you time. It's going to cost your energy. You're not even going to be able to have the energy to get up or the mental clarity to get up and do anything about your situation. But what I had to do and what I, and I'm not saying it's easy. It, anything, it's it's anything that is worth it, it's going to take effort, but you can do hard things. And so what I had to do is I had to train myself to not be negative. I had to switch to that positive side to say, you know what? I'm not saying live in denial. You lost your job. I am saying give yourself a chance. Say, okay, this is not ideal. I did not need to lose my job. But as a believer, I know what is promised to me in the Bible. It says God will supply all of my needs. This didn't catch God by surprise. And so what I'm going to do in that moment, that that rational thought is going to allow me to produce a feeling. And it might produce a feeling of, you know what? I got this. You know, I, I, I'm going to figure this out. I'm resourceful. I'm resilient. And then it's going to, in the end, it's going to help you to gain and not cost you. And so that's what I had to do. I had to really work with my mind to say, why am I always so negative? How can I switch to this rational thought? And it's all about being aware that, because sometimes the negative thought is the first thought you're going to think. But if you are aware of that, then you can catch yourself. Not that you might not think it, but you can be like, you know what? This is not helping. This is not going to be healthy. It's going to go, I'm going down that rabbit hole. Let me catch myself right now. And you know what I always say about rational thought? The worst thing you can do is to allow your emotions to jump out in front of your rational thinking. My goodness. Because once those emotions get out there, Mm -hmm. which are most of the time filled with fear, what you're going to do is go down the negative path because your fear, you know, you being scared Mm -hmm. has gotten out in front and you can't even think about how you could come up on the positive side of things. You, you just can't even think about it. And right. you just start creating these scenarios and, you know, you worry for two weeks 
about something that's never going to happen. never going to happen, right. It's never going to happen. And I read something that was really interesting. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that made me say, you know what, I'm going to make sure that I'm aware. I'm going to make sure that when I start thinking negatively that I catch myself because I could not believe when I read, and I can't remember the, the source of it, but we have about 60,000 thoughts a day. Mm-hmm. And about 80% of those are negative. Wow. Yeah. And that's just too much. Yes. And most of the negative thoughts about are about things that happened in the past that we can't do anything about or about things that we create or scenarios we create that are not even there. They don't even exist and they never happen. Right. They never happen. You know, when I read that in your book about the negative thoughts, I was like, yeah, that's going to steal your peace every time. Right. But I do think it's ongoing and that the best thing we can do is just to learn how to be aware of it. And like you said, use your model, your diagram to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm going to make a different choice on how I'm going to run with this specific thing instead of getting in that rabbit hole and just being negative. Right. Okay. One thing you said, and I want to go back to it because I don't want to forget to talk about it. Okay. You were talking about how you had to get rid of some of your friends. There's two things I want to make sure we let the listeners know before we, you know, get to the end of the interview. Okay. Number one, living in the past Mm -hmm. and trying to hang on to your surroundings when you no longer fit. Exactly. Yeah. Because... You know, this is actually something that I discussed in an episode earlier, living in your past, feeling like you owe your past something Mm -hmm. and you owe the past nothing. Not at all. You would never get to your future if you're holding on to the past. And that includes making the hard decisions. I can, to this day, I'm still, you know, in my heart, I'm like, because I'm such a a loving person. Like I want to be friends. I want everything to be perfect, but I've learned just someone who has always been a high achiever, always been goal oriented. I could not understand jealousy. I could not understand envy. I could not understand it because I've always known that I had a purpose and that my purpose is different than your purpose. So when I see you operating in your element, I'm like, go ahead, girl, I'm cheering you on. Go ahead. Let's do it. Yes. But I was, but when I was in that national commercial, when I was getting notoriety, even in high school, when I would, you know, we would do a talent shows because I'm a dancer too. I love the dance. We would do talent shows and people would come up to me and the same girl would be in the talent show. And I remember after the talent show, people would come up and be like, Tiffany, girl, you killed that. You're going to be a star. Like you was killing it. And like after the second person came up to me and said that, she stormed off and was like, well, I wasn't dancing to my full potential. And this is my best friend. And then there was a certain instance when I made the dance team at my high school and me and her were best friends then. And then the next day we were going on a field trip, our whole um, class, I, I can't remember what year it was, but, and I walked on the bus and my friend was already on the bus. My best friend, I walked on the bus and everybody started clapping because I had made the dance team. But my friend tried out with me and she didn't make it. She didn't talk to me for the whole day. So there were all these red flags from high school on into college years, red flags that should have allowed me to choose myself and say, you know what, this is probably not the healthiest relationship. But because I've always known, like, 
I knew that there were some insecurities on her part, but I've always, I've always been a coach at heart. So I want to, you know, I'm telling her you're beautiful. I'm trying to, I'm, I'm you telling her you're talented. Her. You want to yeah. help her. And you want to push her to be great. But some people don't want to be fixed. And they don't know that they're sick. They don't know that they don't know that there's an issue. And so I kept this person in my life for a long time because, like you said, they, it was a part of my past. It was all I knew. I grew up with this group of girls. And it wasn't just going to be me getting rid of her. I was going to have to get rid of the whole group because I was kind of always the oddball in the group anyway. So it was like, if I distance myself, nobody's coming with me. You know, so it's like I'm leaving all my friends. So I, I walked a lonely path. It's really like... When I listen to what you're saying, and I know one of the things you say in the book, a lot of us don't realize different traumas we've experienced as children, as teens, young adults that we try to hold on to. And we have no clue that these events are affecting us as adults. Right. And we're still trying to walk forward into our future, but reliving and holding on to the past. And it seems like to me, you had to do make two decisions. Number one, to stop living in your past because mm-hmm. it was causing you to be anxious and stealing, stealing your peace. And number two, you had to not only leave your past, but you had to leave some people behind. Mm-hmm. You had to change your surroundings. Yes. Two things that we tend to want to hang on to. Yes. That can keep us from reaching our own idea of personal and professional success. It's big areas, people and events and circumstances and the norm that we feel like we're supposed to hang on to for life that we're not. true, yes. The moment I let them go, the peace, that was, I write about 21 peace fillers, but that in itself was the biggest door to me experiencing peace. So I say to myself, why, Tiffany, did you choose their feelings over your feelings all these years? Because I knew that I didn't want to be there. There was something when we would get together and they would want to, because we all live in different states. We all moved away and live in different states. But when they wanted to get together and do girl trips, that would be a knot in my stomach. And so I would hope that there was a conflict for that weekend because I just didn't want to be around them. It was something about when I got in that environment, it literally, it's almost like a balloon. I, I have a lot of analogies, but like a balloon, you know, when you're trying to go up and you know, you have a balloon and you have a string on it. If you don't, if you let the string go, the balloon is going to flow in air. But when you hold that string and hold it down, it's not going to be able to go in the air. It's not going to float. And it's almost like they were like sticking pin needles in the balloon and deflating me. So every time I would get into that environment, I would feel like a deflated balloon, like my, I was shrinking, shrinking. And it's like, so when I, when I finally decided to let it go, it was one of the hardest decisions of my life. But it was one of the greatest things I could have ever done for myself. I have no regrets. And I'm like, God, I wish so many people could understand that choosing yourself, even romantic relationships, friendships choose yourself because your peace means more than anything else in this world and all of the anxiety that you had all of these years you talk about in the book how you started being unhappy with your career and no one knew what to do for you and you just didn't feel well because of all of these things dealing with other people and relationships and unrealistic expectation yes how this was just a big this was a big effect on you yes it was it took me a long time to admit to myself that 
I had anxiety about certain things because I was one of those people. I, I don't want people to say I have anxiety, right. you know, yeah. because you start thinking about it in terms of needing medication yes. and not just being fully aware of what anxiety is. Yes. And the fact that we all have some extent of anxiety, mm-hmm. you just know, manage it, yeah. I always thought that it was something really bad. And when you don't want to admit to yourself mm-hmm. that you're anxious. Yes. It's hard for you to find peace. It really But is. when you can admit, okay, I'm feeling a certain way. I'm anxious. Here are these things that are setting off the triggers. Mm-hmm. Here are the things that are frustrating me. Then you can get to the point where you really think about what do I need to do to shift into peace? Yeah. What do I need to let go of? Who do I need to let go of? What changes do I need to make in my life? Right. What changes do I need to make in myself in order to be able to get to that point of peace? And like you say, when you do get to that point where you start working on your peace and you start feeling better and you let the baggage go, you start feeling great. Yes. And then it's easy for you to move into what you really want to do. Exactly. And feel how you really want to feel and move through it with grace. Yes. It's something. Yes. And the good thing about it is once you get a taste of peace and once you get a taste of flowing through life, it's easy for you to get back to that point when life happens to you the second time around. Because we are living life and let's just be real. Things happen. But once you get that taste of it, you're like, okay, I'm going back to this feeling. What do I need to do? What do I need to work on to get to that feeling? Yes. One other thing I want to talk about in the book that I feel like was a big problem for me, and I know you and I discussed it, it was an issue for you, perfectionism. Yes. Talk about it. Yes. Talk about it, Tiffany. Let them know about perfectionism. Well, you know, I think when I, I, I just think everything, it's just so funny now because now that I am actually on the other side of it, I, I had to sit down and look at my story and just see how everything in my life was planned strategically because whatever was taken from me during those years was what I needed for what I'm doing right now. And so because I realized that a lot of the, the girls in the group, or I'm going to say one in particular, she looked up to me, the same one who said men are called for your chosen. chosen. She looked up to me. She admired me, her words, but there were certain times she didn't really know how to display that. So it kind of came off as uh, let me kind of knock her down a little bit. And so because of that, I learned how to perform. And so it would be little things like when we would get together, I was like, oh, my God, my hair had to be perfect. My outfit had to be cute. Like I had I felt like I was on display because it was like I had to be cute. And that has followed me all of my life. So like when it came to me even doing what I'm doing now and it required me to show up more online and do live videos and put myself out there, I was I was fearful. I was fearful of how I want to be perfect. I want to be perfect. I wanted to not stutter. Yes. I want everyone to see you at, at my your best. best. And it was holding me back. And I'm telling you, I've been doing this for five years. And I'm telling you, this is the first year that I have started showing up. I've done like several lives recently because I said, no more am I going to let perfectionism hold me back. And I'm not going to perform anymore. I'm going to be who I really am. Because a lot of times when we show up, we try to show up as somebody other than ourselves. And you're not going to reach the people you need to reach if you don't show up as yourself. I, li- I look up to a lot of people and I, I listen to Joyce Myers all the time. She talks about how she hated her voice in the beginning and she tried to, you know, sound like other people. 
but the way that she preaches now, she has even men that listen to her a lot, not just women. And she said her voice was needed because men feel comfortable listening to her. Same thing with Tabitha Brown. I listened to her story. She talks about how she wanted straight hair. You know, she when she was in acting, she was wearing her hair straight and trying to, you know, fit in with the other models. And she was taking diet pills and trying to change herself. It wasn't until she became Tabitha Brown that we know now with the afro and the cut of her clothes that she began to, to get into her element. And that's the same thing with us. Perfectionism, when you're trying to when you're trying to be perfect, that means you're performing. And people can sense that. People can sense that you're not genuine. People right. are craving authenticity. There's so many phony people online. So when you are trying to be perfect and you're not showing up, you're not doing a service to your audience. It's when you really decide that I'm going to show up no matter how people perceive me. I'm going to be myself. And so that was me for a long time. I'm trying to be perfect. I'm trying to show up. I want to make sure my outfit's cute, my makeup. People don't see my bags, you know, like all of that. It's like, it don't even matter. It's like what you, what you're saying, your talent, what you have to give your gift is all that matters. Everybody's not going to get it, but your people are going to love you for you. And so I had to really learn that and I'm still learning that and I've come a long way. And so I think a lot of people are... And I'm sure you come across this. You know, I coach a lot of women who have these big dreams, right. but they can't show up. It's like, they can't. how are you going to, how do you think you're going to uh, attract anybody if they don't even know who you are? They don't even know you have something to offer. So it's almost like a lot of us are suffering with that when we feel like we don't want people to see us. Another thing is people from their past or people who they know, they don't, they don't want them to, to see them start small. You know, seeing that you're on live and nobody's watching, nobody's reading your stuff. But that is not of any of your concern. All you need to do is show up and be obedient because if you can't show up for the one, you're never going to get to the many. But if you can't show up for the one because you're afraid to start small, you're afraid of what people think about you, you're afraid that people are going to talk about you, then you're never going to get to that place where you really want to be. So perfectionism is really still in a lot of people's peace and their purpose. It is. And you know what? Perfectionism is a myth. Yes, it sure really is. Because nothing is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> There's no one that's perfect. And the only thing perfectionism is going to do or striving for perfectionism is going to make you be phony mm-hmm. and it's going to steal your authenticity yes. because you're trying to be something that you're yes. not. And what it is, is you're going to do all of that work to try to be perfect. You don't want to put yourself out there thinking that you're not right or, you know, you're not where you need to be. You're trying to be something. You're trying to get there before you even start, basically, what you're trying to do. And at the end of the day, you're going to be exhausted. Yes, you are. You're going to be exhausted. You don't have enough energy to really show up. You got a whole performance going on. Like, that's exhausting. I'm I'm an actress. I know what it takes to put on a play. It's like, wow, you know? So, yeah, you're right. So right about that. It's like you got a whole production trying to be perfect. And the only thing you need to do is just Just be yourself. yourself. Show up. Like you say, been there, done that. <laughs> Don't want to do a live because you got a, a piece of yeah. your hair out of play. Yep. Your lipstick not right. Your makeup not right. <laughs> you don't have the right lighting. Exactly. You don't want people to see the background you not good. Authentically, <laughs> you want them to see that polished and perfect version of you each and every time that you show up. Right. And that's the most unrealistic thing that I've seen. Right. Trying to be perfect. Now, you talk about perfectionism. But another one that you talk about in the book, Strife. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's get into it because I really want them to hear about this. (laughs) 
So I think I pretty much mentioned it. Like I said, when I would get into certain environments, it's almost like you can cut the tension with a knife. And I just felt, always felt there's something off. It's just like, you know, there would be so, so many things that I just would, I would go in feeling one way and come out just completely deflated. And so it's like, I had to realize that pay attention to who you're, when you, the environments that you go in when your peace is taken from you. Or when you feel, when you feel conflicted, when you feel conflicted, when you feel conflicted. Is, is what I like to say. You, you feel tension, you feel conflicted, you feel out of place. Yes. Those three things. Yes. And it would be little things. You can, you can tell that you're not in the right group when you feel like that because if you're around the supportive people, if you're around your tribe, you feel at peace. Yes, you do. And I, I tell a lot of stories in a book and a lot of the stories I felt were really petty, but they were my story. You know, I, they, <laughs> hey, they were what happened. Exactly. And so, you know, when I was getting into walking to my purpose, um, doing what I'm doing now, and I told you I got the radio show, one of the things that we used to have a group message, a group chat, and I would just feel like when it, it was just certain things that I would say, and then I would, a comment would be made, and it would be like, why is this such a negative comment? Like, it's like, I remember one day I was really trying to put my message together because the messages aired um, every week. And so I was um, in the middle of my message, and it was a group chat. And they were writing back and forth. So I kind of joined in or whatever. And I remember one of the things that I was talking about was my oatmeal. We were actually doing a challenge, trying to get healthy. And I was, we were posting our snacks and things like that. And I posted a picture of my oatmeal. And then I um, sent it over and I was all proud of it. And it's two of the girls out of all of us. Like a lot of the girls were sweethearts, but there were two of them that just seemed to like to just try to just put these underlying comments. And so I remember that's the first time I realized that that it was a dislike button in the iPhone. And so she put the, the certain person disliked the picture. And she was like, ooh, what is that? And then I, I wrote what the, what the ingredients was, you know, cinnamon and sunflower seeds. And, you know, I was excited about it and she didn't respond. And I remember, and it sounds so silly to you, probably listening, but for me, this is just one of many little different things. Nobody had ever used the dislike button. Everybody would be supportive for, other, for everybody else. But for me, at that moment, I had taken a break from doing my radio message. And then I got, and I saw that message and it just, I sat there with tears in my eyes. I was thinking to myself, why do I feel like this with my friends? Like, why do I always feel like, like they're not supportive or it's like a little slide and it is so subtle. That's what Stripe is. It's so subtle that you almost think, am I crazy? You know, am I petty? Is it me? You know, maybe that, maybe that's not what they meant. But after this stuff happens over and over and over again, I have to realize that it's not even them. We're not even fighting people. Like I told you, I'm such a, a Jesus girl. You're fighting people, people, spirits. Like it's not, it's an enemy that's using them to try to keep you off your game. Because I sat there in tears when I should have been putting together my message. I'm sitting there just really just d- down about my friends and the people who are supposed to lift me up and always feeling that way. I don't think the stories are petty. Really? Okay. Because I think it just shows everyday things that we encounter yeah and when you have a book and you're talking about things that steal your peace you're showing all of these things that we go through all of us go through on a daily basis you don't realize how much this impacts the peace that you have in your own life and a lot of it deals with other people their perceptions and how we allow them to affect us Mm -hmm. because you also talk about Envy, jealousy, and comparison. Oh that was a big one. And we know that we know that's a piece yes. of 
we know that's a peace dealer, definitely. And I always talk about shifting out of competition and comparison right. into collaboration, which is what a lot of people have a problem with. Yes. Because it deals with your peace and your success. Yes, it does. Trying to get away from that and get yourself in a zone where you don't have to deal with mm -hmm. it. Yes. Let me tell y'all something. Tiffany wrote 21 peace stillers in this book, and we could talk about them all day <laughs> long because everything that she has written about is something that I can honestly say that I've seen show up in my life in some form or fashion that probably at the time, I didn't realize that these things were still in my peace and causing me to be anxious and feel uneasy about myself and my life and my work and my business mm -hmm. and et cetera. But one thing um, that I really want to get out there before we end the interview is shifting out of inadequacy. That's the one I was just looking at, like, oh, we need to talk about that. Yes. <laughs> we got to talk about inadequacy. And it's funny because I recently did an episode where I talked about shifting out of inadequacy and into self-worth. So can you talk to the, the listeners a little bit about your feelings of inadequacy and how it stole your peace and how you got to a point where you were able to eliminate that or let's just say better yet, learn to deal with it? Yes. So I realized that even in whatever I was doing, I would feel that inadequacy come on. It was something to where I realized that it was it derived from perfectionism. You know, a lot of these peace dealers build on themselves like they kind of, you know, coincide because when you want to be perfect, then you feel inadequate when you show up because it's never going to be perfect. You know, like, like you said, it's an never. illusion. Nothing's perfect. I don't understand why we reach for perfection, but nothing's nothing will ever be perfect. And so even when I when I started being a life coach and it required me to show up on lives, I wouldn't do it. I, I felt like. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. You know, I, everything has already been said before. I don't know if I speak eloquently enough. I don't know if I'm able to do this. You know, all of the negative self-talk, again, back to that other peace stillers, the other peace stiller. And so I really had to begin to say, why do I feel this way? Why do I feel that I'm not adequate for something that I have been preparing for for all of my life? Because this is truly who I've always been. And then... I used to stand in the mirror and not preach, but speak all the time, preparing for this moment. But when the moment came, I was fearful and afraid. And we have to understand that whenever you are doing something that is going to shift, shift other people, then it's going, you're going to have some resistance. And so I had to really realize that the inadequacy was really strategic because it wanted to keep me from moving forward in the things of God and the things that would allow people to you know, experience with light that I always wanted to be in dark places. And so I had to get past that and realize, like you said, we talked about this before the show about doing it afraid. And once I realized that, once I started showing up, I would get so many messages and emails from different people about, oh my goodness, what you said was really powerful or really changed my life or things like that. And so I realized that when we feel inadequate, use it that we're doing something right. It means that we're on the yeah. right path. And and the things about feeling inadequate is that once again you say we're scared to show up in front of other people because we are concerned about how it's going to be perceived. Mm -hmm. We're concerned about getting negative comments or negative feedback. But the fact of the matter is, I don't care what you do, you're not going to please everyone. There's going to be someone who doesn't agree with 
what or or how you do it. Yes. But it's just amazing how you can just basically shut yourself down before you start thinking that you're not going to be good enough for whatever it is that you're trying to do. And self-worth to me is really big because you have to feel like you belong Mm -hmm. in the places that you seek. You can't get to your destinations and you feel like you're you're not worthy to be there. It's like you're fighting against yourself. You're saying in one breath, I want something. But when you start feeling inadequate and feeling like you're not worthy of it or you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're saying in another breath, I don't. And you wonder why it takes you so long to move from point A to point B. But that's a big one, self-worth, because I don't think we realize that the people that we admire, that we look up to, they're afraid too. I think we're waiting on the moment that we don't feel afraid. That's never going to happen. You're always going to feel the nerves. Even people who are big speakers, I still hear them say, people don't think I'm still nervous when I get up here. It's like we're never going to feel like we're ready. That's why you just have to start and perfect it along the way. Perfection meaning what's your best because it's never going to be the best. It's going to perfectionism is an illusion. It's going to be your best, but you have to get out there and start. And a lot of times we don't believe in ourselves. That's the first thing I would tell anybody who wants to start a business. Don't even think about it if you don't really believe in yourself. Really, you have to hype yourself up. You actually need a session every morning to where it is. Let me get my mind right. Let me believe in myself. Let me write how wonderful I am, how great, how qualified I am. You literally have to work on this every single day because you're not, again, goes back to automatic. I call them ants, automatic negative thoughts. You're automatically going to think, that you are not good enough. So you have to wake up every day and tell yourself and get it ingrained into your mind that you are well able to do whatever it is that you are called to do. And you are. We all are. Now, Tiffany, next I want to move into my questions that I ask each and every one of my guests. Okay. And the first thing is I'm really big on focus. And like I told you earlier, I think that's the cornerstone of everything else, being able to focus on your vision and set the tone for the rest of your life. But the fact of the matter is, is that it's easy to get knocked out of that. Sometimes even when we're doing our best, we get to the point where we just kind of get out of sorts and we lose focus. So if you could give a tip to someone who's basically at that point where they want to refocus and they want to do better and they want to get back to that point where they can just, you know, have that tunnel vision and move forward, what would that tip be? The tip I would say would be to get quiet, close out everything, because it's hard to know your own voice or hear your own voice when you have you're surrounded by so many different voices. That is television, radio, people. The first thing I would say is you have to get quiet. And then the next thing I would say is you need to really know where you're going. Like, what do you want? Have that vision in front of you. Be able to sit down and write it out. Because if you don't write it down, I'm a big believer, if it's not written down, then it's, it's not going to happen. So you need to write it down because you need clarity for where you're going. A lot of us are wanting to go places, but we don't know where we're going. Like you have to know where you're going so that you can get there. It's like they get in your car, you have a GPS, you don't know where you're going. Like you won't get there. You'll just be rolling around in circles, but you have to know where you're going. And only how you're going to know where you're going is if you know what, what, what you want. And you get quiet enough to really map it out. How am I going to get there? I totally agree with you. I know you've discussed a lot about you and your life. And we talked about the book. But if you can say that there was one thing that actually gave you the biggest 
shift or push into your zone of success, what would that be? Hmm. The one thing that pushed me into my zone of success, you know, I want to say truly this year was investing in myself, investing in resources, people who are where I want to be and really like, I mean, invest into where it hurts. My mentor's motto is change them enough to change. And literally the prices are so high. It's like, if I pay this, I'm going to change. So it's almost like, <laughs> yeah, so it's almost like if I think this is the year I really bet on myself and I said, I believe that I can do this. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. So I think shifting into my zone of, gr- of greatness and genius this year alone has been me investing into resources and learning what I don't know, because what you don't know is hurting you. So I wanted to learn what I didn't know. Because none of us know it all. And I know I always quote Warren Buffett. He always says that the best investment that you can make is in yourself on any given day. Now, the last question, I'm going to ask you, what is one word to describe you and why? One word to describe me, I would say passionate. If, if I can do it, but passionate, that means I shouldn't be doing it. I think I bring passion and heart and intensity to everything that I do. And so that is the word that I would say. I've always been passionate about the things that I'm passionate about. And so helping women shift from their soul-crushing careers into spirit-led callings is something that I'm passionate about. So this work that I do every day is almost like I'm, I'm, I can't believe I get to wake up and do it and have peace at the same time. At the same time. And you know what? The word passionate from the guests that have been on the show previously, you're the first person to say that. So that's interesting. Now, I know that we've listed your contact information in the show notes, but do you have any events or anything that's coming up that you want the listeners to check out or be aware of? So I do have a new program. It's called the Sacred Side Hustle. And it's for women who are looking to discover their purpose and begin to align their life and walk into their purpose. And so um, you can get more information about that on my website. Um, again, it's called Sacred Side Hustle. And um, I'm really, I'm still taking applications and I'm really excited about working with the women and helping them to shift into their spirit-led calling. So you can contact me at my website, which is ohsoyoucoaching.com and also on Instagram, which is also ohsoyoucoaching.com. I'm sorry, ohsoyoucoaching. Okay. Okay. Well, Tiffany, I must say, I have really enjoyed this conversation and I can guarantee you that everyone who's listening has gotten something out of it. If you all want to purchase a copy of the book, I have a link in the show notes to Peace Dealers, 21 Reasons Why Your Ancients, Why It Matters and What to Do About It. Well, Tiffany, I thank you for stepping into the zone of success with me today. And I know that this is your first time, but it will not be your last. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm enjoying it. I listened to your other episodes and it is amazing. So congratulations to you. All right. Talk to you later.